we've gotten in his word. And today, we're looking at the centerpiece for dealing and battling fear. Uh, and that has to do with the, the last fear we're going to look at, and that is the fear of God. We're going to look today at a powerful verse, maybe somewhat unfamiliar verse to you, in Isaiah chapter 8. And so far in the book of Isaiah, uh, the Lord has revealed uh, tremendous things to the people of Israel in the midst of their unfaithfulness. Israel is considering making a pact against God's will with the nation of Assyria. And many people in the country felt at that time that, wow, if we get the protection of Assyria, everything's going to be great. And the Lord was saying, no, you don't need the protection of other nations. I am your God. Isaiah spoke against the alignment, the pact with Assyria, and everybody thought that prophet was crazy. And people were, if they listened to Isaiah, saying, hey, fear the Lord, trust the Lord, cling to the Lord. Others look down on them. And so he is calling the people to look beyond the fragile fear of man to the only fear that can set them free, and that is the fear of God. Listen to these verses in the midst of that context in chapter 8 of Isaiah, verses 12 and 13. Do not call conspiracy everything that these people call conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear, and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear, and He is the one you are to dread. As we look at this passage and talk about the centerpiece of a fearless life, the first thing that comes to mind is number one on your outline this morning, and that's this, to reject lesser fears by fearing God. As I mentioned, there, there was a talk of conspiracy, and... Um, it was, it was politically unpopular for Isaiah to come out against the pact, against the alliance. And uh, people were accusing him of being a conspirator, someone trying to form some type of coup. And Isaiah said, you're fearing the wrong thing. You're fearing man. You're fearing treachery from another nation. You should fear one thing, and that is God himself. They had placed their fears in the wrong object instead of the, ob the only thing that could set them free. Do you realize the person that is growing in a freedom from the crippling fears of this world, that's growing in freedom from uh, the fear of man, from the fear of death, uh, from the fear of all kinds of daily life anxiety, is the one that has learned to stand in awe of who God is. Now, as we look at this, these verses further, I want to get a biblical definition of the fear of God. Uh, the, the first one comes right from Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13, and the fear of God is this, A, having God's attitude toward sin. We're told in that verse that the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. So one aspect of a true fear of God is a disdain for sin. It's the hatred of sin. It's having the same attitude that God has toward sin is, is one that you possess as well. Uh, maybe you have a disdain for little things in life. Maybe what, Think of what really bugs you the most. Uh, is it sales calls at home? Is it long lines at the store? 
Uh, is it some type of food? Is it country music? Is it the gators losing? Something that really, really bothers you deeply. And then multiply that times infinity, and that is God's absolute abhorrence to sin because his nature is completely opposed to it. And so when we stand in awe of who God is, we begin to develop his attitude towards sin at all times. One other aspect of what the fear of God is scripturally is B, it is reverence for God that results in pleasing him alone. It's that you have such revere for his character. You're so in awe of who he is that you have decided that he is the one and only person you ultimately want to please that's what jeremiah was talking about in 32 39 when he says i will give them singleness of heart and action so that they would fear my name and that's really what david the psalmist prayed in psalm 86 11 when he said give me an undivided heart that i might fear your name when your heart is singular and your devotion to god because you have such respect and offer who he is then you have made progress in understanding the fear of the Lord. Now, the next thing Isaiah says to them at the beginning of verse 13, he reminds them that one aspect of moving toward this centerpiece of a fearless life is number two on your outline this morning, and that's to stand in awe of God's greatness. How do you do that? How do you learn to stand in awe of God's greatness? He says in verse 13, The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. I guess there's a couple of ways we do that. First of all, A under number two is by focusing on God's divine qualities. Have you ever noticed that we have this tendency to gravitate toward the qualities of God that we can most relate to? We, we, we can love and be loved, and therefore we enjoy dwelling on the love of God. Now, I'm not down on the love of God. We absolutely need it for our daily life. But it's something that we can relate to. Um, we can receive mercy, and we can be merciful. Therefore, we love to dwell on God's mercy. That's absolutely essential as well, as we'll see in just a moment. But real fear of God comes when we, first of all, have a focus on the divine qualities of God. There's no way we can be sovereign. There's no way we can be omnipotent. There's no way, like the word in verse 13, that we can be almighty. Those are exclusively reserved for God. But we sometimes put God in this nice little box that really cramps who he is, the complex character of God. I read a story in Max Lucado's book uh, on fear uh, he, he said he had an awkward moment. He was standing in a hotel lobby waiting to get his room, and he noticed in front of him that the lady who was checking in had one of his books, and it was an, one of his earlier books, and um, he kind of wondered if he should say anything to her that, hey, I wrote that because it sounds very weird, but he just took the risk and said, are you enjoying that book? It's one that you know, I, I was able to write, and she looked at it and said, oh, I really like it. Then she looked at the picture on the sleeve, which had been taken 10, 15 years earlier. And she said, you're not Max Lucado. And he's like, well, actually, you know, I, I am. She goes, Max Lucado has a full head of hair and no wrinkles. And, and he says, well, he used to <laughs> look like that. He's sort of chuckling in this, at this. And she looks at him and says, no, it can't be. And he was about to get out his driver's license, but then he said, you know what? 
I sort of prefer. If people want to look at me like the 30-year-old Max forever, that's fine, you know. <laughs> I'm not going to fight this anymore. But he said, you know, it's interesting. We do the exact same thing with God. Is that we like to put God in this little box that we can define. God is like this. And anything other than that, we can't handle. So we like to define God in a way that's really comfortable and nice for us. But anything that's too edgy about God, that makes him too other, that it makes him any kind of way that could harm us if we should cross him, we like to keep that at bay. Now, the fear of God is somewhat like the if we were going on a, a, a tour in the ice and the glaciers of Greenland, uh, and we began to climb the, the glaciers, and all of a sudden there was a terrible wind-blown storm that almost knocked us over, and we were beginning to fear for our life, and that we, yet we looked over and saw a cleft, and we go inside a very safe-feeling cleft, and then we continue to look at the raging storm. We're still afraid, but we're no longer afraid that the storm is going to harm us, we're just in awe of the vast power the storm possesses. And that someone like the fear of God, that if we know Christ in a personal way, we're not afraid of God in a cringing fear that he's coming after us. But we're still in awe of the otherness and the power and the majesty and the transcendence he possesses. So that's one way this morning that we can begin to focus on the greatness of God. Another way, strangely enough, is be under number two, and that's by treasuring his mercy. We are told in Psalm 130, verses 3 and 4, about who can stand before the Lord. Uh, it says, with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. The forgiveness of God, rightly seen, should not lead us to abuse the grace of God. It shouldn't lead us to think less of the greatness of God, but it rightly seen, true receiving of mercy of God leads us to stand in awe of who he is. We fear him when we treasure his mercy. Well, as the passage continues, the Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. You almost look at the last couple of phrases in verse 13 as if the prophet is doing an urgent plea to motivate God's people to place their fear in the right object. I wonder what his volume was like and what his inflection was like. It seems to me as though it's a life-threatening call to the people of Israel and thus to us today saying, He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. Of course, we don't use that word dread in anything but a negative way. And I think here it likely refers to the trembling that we feel because of the greatness of God. Maybe it's the same type of feeling that John had in the book of Revelation when he began to see the vision of God and he fell over as if he were a dead man. It's this overwhelming feeling of being around greatness. Um, and, and it's an urgency about he is the one you are to fear. Well, this third principle this morning about uh, the centerpiece of a fearless life is simply this, to believe that fearing God is best for you. you. You can really make progress in something once you are convinced that this trait, that this habit, that this attitude is actually best for your life. And I'm amazed in Scripture at how many 
practical motivation there are to fear the Lord. And if you, I'm just listing a few here for our, our last point, but there are so many more that if you were just to look up verse after verse at the fear of God, you would, look, you would turn and say, I would be foolish if I did not pursue and ask God to work in me this beautiful reverence for his namesake. What could motivate us to fear the Lord? First of all, A, under number three, is that it brings God's delight. We're told in Psalm 147, verse 11, that the Lord delights in those who fear him. Do you ever know that person that is really hard to please? Maybe they're hard to talk to. Maybe they're hard to get a smile or a laugh out of. Maybe they're super hard to buy for. They're difficult just to relate to. They're somewhat hard to please. Well, the Lord's not like that. Sometimes we view him as that, but he scripturally, specifically, and simply lays out what pleases him. And one of the things that seems to please him most is that we revere him so much that we hate sin and desire to please him, or rather, the fear of God. He delights in those who fear him. Another motivation in scripture to fear the Lord is B under number three, and that's this, that the fear of God provides a secure foundation for life. We're told in Proverbs 14 verse 26 that the fear of the Lord brings a secure fortress. Do you know that believer that it seems so incredibly strong and stable? That when the trials of life come and try to blow them over, that man or that woman of God keeps on going. There's a stability when there's pressure. There's a power when there's temptation. And there's a, a meek faith in the Lord through midst all the storms of life. Do you know why that person became so safe and secure and had a secure foundation? It wasn't because they were merely faithful in church and Sunday school or because they gave a great offering or because they read this book or learned this or that principle or this conference. It's simply because they learned to fear the Lord. This verse goes on in Proverbs 14, 26 to say, And for his children it will be a refuge. Now those of you that are parents in this room, if I were to ask you, Hey, how many of you want what's best for your children? There'd be a resounding, me, we all want what is best for our children. You know what the problem seems to be? Is that we have a really hard time defining what is best for them. We have a jaded view of what is really best for our children. The scripture tells us that if you, if you teach your children to fear the Lord, and if you fear the Lord, there is a secure future provided for him. There's that shade of safety if they see mom, if they see dad standing in awe of the living God. There's a safety for them when we fear God. Something else, a motivation to fear the Lord is found in Proverbs 16.6, and that's C on your outline this morning, that it gives freedom from sin. We're told in 16.6 of Proverbs that through the fear of the Lord, a man avoids evil. Do you have those sins, those vices that seem to keep coming your way, keep whispering lies to you, and exercising domination over you? There could be multiple reasons for why that is the case, often because of unwise choices in our life, but I believe a major reason is because we simply don't fear God. We don't have that kind of respect for Him 
that results in longing to please him. And, and, you know, I'm thinking this weekend, Susie has been at the ladies' retreat. By the way, I've heard it's gone great out, out there. And I have been in and out with boys doing this and that and the other. Um, and so I've, I've noticed this morning as I was leaving, I didn't exactly pay great attention to details on the house. And so don't come over this afternoon, by the way, because I'm going to try to do a, a world. Now, I know exactly how she likes it, and so I, I respect her so much that I want to please her. And knowing that I haven't done so great this weekend at doing so is, is making me think a little bit. But when you stand in awe of God and you respect who he is so deeply, it greatly affects your leanings and propensity towards sin. It is through the fear of the Lord, we're told, that a man avoids evil. One other verse we see is found from, or two other principles from Psalm 145, verse 19. It says that the Lord fulfills the desires of those who fear him. Do you have unfulfilled desires? So often we do. It's because we seek for our desires to be fulfilled filled in quick, fast, easy ways. Well, we're told in Proverbs 19, 23 that the fear of the Lord brings contentment. And that's the principle of D under number three, that it brings an inner contentment. I remember talking to a young man one time who looked really down. I said, Scott, how are you? This was several years ago. And he said, I'm kind of depressed, kind of bummed out. I said, really? What's going on? He goes, well, I'm just discouraged. He goes, I think I need a girlfriend. I was like, wow, you'd be a real blessing to somebody, you know. <laughs> when we get discouraged, when we get unfulfilled, we, we start thinking, I need a relationship, I need a better job, I need more money, I need more of this or that and the other. And, and the, the, the Bible says, no, if you're unfulfilled, if you're discontent, don't look for someone on this earth, don't look for something, don't look for some vain, futile pursuit. The issue is, you have not been standing in awe of God. You've not been fearing him and reverencing so much that you only want to please him. Because if you fear God, the Bible says, you will have fulfilled desires. And that's the kind of life the living God wants for us today. So as we close out this series on fear this morning, do note that the centerpiece of a fearless life is standing in awe of God. Do not fear what they fear, the scripture says. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. As we bow together for a moment in a period of response to the word of God, I wonder what your response will be this morning. Maybe your soul was stirred or touched by one of the songs that you heard today. As Grace described the cross, as we sing praises to God, maybe there's something on your heart this morning where you realize that maybe in the depths of your being, you've never placed your faith in Christ alone. Let today be the day of salvation for you that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Maybe you're a child of God, but you realize your view of God has been so incredibly small, and God has so much more for you than that. The scripture tells us in Jeremiah 32, 32 verse 40, that I will inspire them to fear me. Let the inspiration of God so move in you that you're following his leading into a deep reverence of him today. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would take this moment and draw people to your truth and make a name for yourself today. It's in Christ's name we pray.
Amen.